morning, church family. Uh, it's just such a blessing for us to be able to gather together, and I love hearing you sing. Uh, I know I say that a lot, but it's just such a cool thing to be able to, to be with God's people, singing the praises of Jesus our King. It's just special. We, we can't do that in any other type of environment like this. When the redeemed come together, and it's a little glimpse of what heaven's going to look like as we praise our King. Um, and so we just want to continue in that vein this morning of worship. And we're going to do that through the Psalms. So if you have a Bible with you, please turn it to Psalm chapter 1 this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in the seat back in front of you. And I encourage you to pull it out and to uh, read along with us as we worship together the Lord through the Psalms. We're going to be Psalm chapter 1 and chapter 2 this morning. Um, and we have kind of already gotten into this series, and I hope you've joined in with us in the reading plan, talking about it in life groups, and if you haven't, still, still have time to do that. And what we're uh, wanting to see happen through our journey in the Psalter is that we would be shaped and formed by God. Uh, that instead of pursuing our ways, that God would mold us more into the image of His Son, and He would do that through His Word. And so we've begun talking about what it means for us to meditate and reflect on the Word of God. And many of the Psalms are, are, are written for that purpose, for us to ponder, for us to think about, for us to consider, for us to wrestle, to meditate, to, to let the Word of God have its place in shaping us as believers. And that doesn't happen in a three-minute devotional before we hit the day and go on and, and not open the Bible until the next day or, or a, a quick little snippet here, snippet there. And I, I think one of the things that, that we're praying happens in your heart, happens in my heart as we journey through this book together is uh, we will, and I'm quoting someone here, that we would gaze at God and we would glance at life. But often we get the two reversed. We gaze at life and we just kind of glance at God. Here and there, Sunday mornings, we kind of get a little glimmer, but really the majority of our focus is kind of on what's coming ahead of us this week, what's coming around the bend. You've already begun having conversations about what tomorrow's going to look like, and that's okay. But we want to be a people who gaze at God every single day, that are being formed and shaped by God. And that's why the Psalms exist, and Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 are the gateway, they are the door into understanding the rest of the Psalter. They're the way that we understand how to read the book of Psalms, how to meditate, how to delight in the Word of God, as we're going to talk about this morning. It doesn't happen unless we come through Psalm 1 or 2, because, again, if we're not careful, we'll look at the Psalms as pick-me-ups having a bad day, need some quick advice, something I can process quickly, I go to the Psalms. And what we're trying to say as we walk through this book of the Psalms so much more, this is the living, active Word of God. It's not just a pick-me-up, it is fountains of living water. But we won't understand it rightly and properly unless we learn how to meditate on the Word of God, which happens through the Son of God, and that's our goal this morning. So I just want us to read through Psalm 1 and 2 together, if you would, with me. Now let's just gaze at God through the reading of His Word. And as we read through this Word, maybe you've never read Psalm 1 and 2 together. I encourage you, if you've not, if you like to take notes, highlight, you're going to see a lot of common themes, common words. And it's because these books correspond with one another. Uh, most authors and theologians will say that Psalm 1 and 2 serve as the introduction together to the psalm. Many believe that Psalm 1 and 2 are actually one psalm. Uh, even in Acts 13, Paul quotes from Psalm chapter 2, and in some of the original translations, it says, 
Psalm 1, and in some of the translations it says Psalm 2. We know chapters and verse divisions, they came later on, but what we do know are these are both integral to our understanding of this book. So let's read it together. Verse 1, chapter 1. Blessed or happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. But instead, his delight is in the law or the Torah of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. And I'll pause there for just a second. The Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, is the law for the people of God. And there's not, um, it's not coincidence that the Psalms are divided into five different books, five different sections. They represent the law. And so when we read the different books of the Psalter, they're to remind us of God's covenantal faithfulness as seen through the books of Genesis through Deuteronomy. Verse 3, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does he prospers. Now we're going to see a contrast. There's comparison and contrast. The way of the wicked, the way of the righteous. The wicked are not so but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, in summary, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For... The Lord knows the way, we saw that in verse 1, of the righteous, but again, the way of the wicked will perish. The way is the one in which way one, the one in which one lives his life. Sorry, the way in which one lives his life. Our pattern of living. Chapter 2, 1. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel against the Lord Yahweh and his anointed or Messiah saying let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us so there's this rebellion that's happening the people of the world are rejecting the people of God rejecting who God is verse 4 he who sits in heavens laughs The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to him in his wrath. He will terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. So the peoples of the earth, they want to overthrow God and set up their own king. But God laughs and he says, I have already set up my king who's going to rule. I will tell the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, the end of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod, or rule them with a rod of iron, dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And this is the same kind of image that's happening with the chaff the wind blows away. Being a broken vessel, the pieces are scattered. This is the way of the wicked versus the way the righteous, the kingdom of man versus the kingdom of God. Verse 10, now therefore, in summary, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord, or Yahweh, with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Verse 12, kiss the son, and this is a sign of respect, homage, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. There it is again. For his wrath is quickly kindled. And then going back to chapter 1, verse 1, we see again this word here. Blessed or happy are all who take refuge in him. Amen. It's the word of the Lord.
So Psalm 1 and 2, they help us understand what it looks like for us to live in light of the kingdom. They are the way in which we understand the rest of the Psalms. They are the, the, the lens in which we want to interpret what comes next and throughout the book of the Psalms. They also focus in on the way we are called to meditate, to rest, to focus, to ponder, to consider the law of God. And that considering, it comes through this king that comes up in chapter 2, this anointed, this son, and you can probably guess where this is going. But the beginning of chapter 1 and the end of chapter 2, there's a bookend, and it's this word called blessed. And our translation would be happy. And so what the psalmist is saying, and what God is saying through the psalmist, is that the one who pursues these things, who follows this path, will be happy. Now, happiness is a hard thing for us because the way that we view happiness is not necessarily the way that the Bible talks about happiness. This happiness is a happiness that is, that is joy-filled, uh, it is rooted, it doesn't waver, whereas for us, a lot of times, happiness is conditional, it's circumstantial. I've seen this in my life, I'm sure you've seen this in your life. Uh, more recently, I've seen it in, in one of my son's life. His name's Camden. And so if you know my family at all, our third oldest is Camden. He's um, going to be four uh, in July. And Camden is just awesome. He's full of life. He's blonde, big curl, fro kind of thing going on. And he just, he loves life. That's what he loves to do. And he loves being happy. Like he's a happy kid and he just does things because he enjoys doing them. He doesn't really think about consequences. He doesn't really think about offending people. He just does what he wants to do. And he doesn't do it to hurt people. He just does it to live life. And so sometimes we have issues with Camden and rules because if it's between keeping a rule or having fun, Camden's always going to choose fun. He's that kind of kid. And so he goes to halftime here, and we've had some issues with him doing small things like standing on tables, throwing things at people's faces, not listening to teachers, putting carrots and other kids' chocolate milk during lunchtime, you know, the small stuff. Like that's been kind of our lives as parents recently. And so we've had to have some correction and conversation with Camden about his behavior and I'm kind of letting you into his world and so a couple weeks ago same issues he came home mom did some discipline and Katie asked Camden Camden why are you doing these things Camden's response mommy I just I'm losing my mind okay well I guess we need to help you find your mind all right we'll, like, we'll, we'll figure that out and then I got home same thing some discipline conversation Camden why'd you disobey your teachers like, daddy my brain told me to I was like, okay, well, you need to tell your brain no. He said, I did, but it told me no back. <laughs> okay, well, don't listen to your brain, son. Like, you, you know it's right. And so we have these conversations. So this is Camden. He's, he's full on. So a couple weeks ago, he and I went out, and we had bro time. When I take Evie out, it's date night or daddy dates. When I'm with the guys, it's bro time. We bro so hard. We bro down, you know, whatever. Like, try to do masculine things, because obviously I'm a masculine guy. And so we're, we're hanging out. And we, we'd go to Wallabies, and just he and I, and have a blast. Just climbing stuff, sliding down, and then take him get ice cream afterwards. Just all this fun stuff. So we've had two or three hours of fun. We're getting ready to go home and eat pizza with the family. Like, it's the best day ever for Camden. And so on the way back from John City to the house, which isn't far, 10 minutes, he asked if we can watch a movie in the car on the way home, which we never do that. So the answer's no. And he loses his mind. Just he loses his mind, and he's probably tired and sugar-induced and all that kind of stuff, but meltdown mode. And in that moment, it made me think of, man, that's what happiness looks like for us. 
We find happiness in the moment, in this thing, but as quick as it's there, it's gone. And, and what I want us to see this morning as we get into Psalm 1 and 2, the happiness, the blessedness that the psalmist is speaking about is not that. It's not momentary, in or out, based on circumstances. It's, it's joy-induced. And so instead of using the word happiness this morning, I'm going to use the word gladness. Because gladness, biblically, is the expression of joy. And that's what we're pursuing. We're pursuing joy and that being expressed in and through our lives. And so there's a couple of big truths that kind of guide the way we look at this psalm. And so I want us to look at those together and then we'll walk back through this text this morning. The first is this. Happiness is not found in the pursuit of happiness. But instead we find gladness, that's the word we're going to use this morning, the expression of joy in the pursuit of God. This is really important. Happiness is not our goal. God is the goal. We don't come to the Psalms so that we can have a better life. We come to the Psalms so that we can see God. Amen? We don't read the Psalms to help our day be better. We read the Psalms so that we might know God and delight in God and find our joy in God and our rest in Him and that we might obey Him. And if we're not careful, we'll make the Psalms about us. If we read the Bible and we read the Psalms to make us happy, we're really worshiping us. The Psalms don't exist for us. They exist to point us to God, to delight in Him. God is the goal. God is the root and gladness, the expression of joy, is His fruit. Gladness is not found in acquiring something, but instead in responding to and rejoicing in God. And those words I've chosen carefully, responding to and rejoicing in. Psalm 1 is about responding to God. Rejecting the way of the wicked, meditating day and night. Psalm 2 is about rejoicing in God. Instead of rejecting His rule, it's embracing the rule of His son and unless we have both we don't find gladness unless we have both we don't find joy or to use these words we are not going to be blessed in our lives and so to understand these psalms we have to understand that psalm 1 and psalm 2 they're comparison and contrast they they are a picture of two different paths that every single person in this room and every single person who walks the planet is going to walk one of these two trajectories and so let's, let's talk about what that means. This is, leads us to our second truth. The road to gladness or blessedness is a choice between two paths. One path is the pursuit of happiness and broken saviors, things other than God. The other path is the pursuit of gladness in God. He's our delight. He's our joy. One path leads to vanity, meaninglessness. The other path leads to flourishing. This is what we all want. It's what we were created for. This next sentence is key. If we don't understand this next sentence, we will misread the Psalms. Our problem is that we have all chosen the wrong path. This is important. Every single person in this room has chosen the path of wickedness. Every single person, as we read Psalm 2 and you hear the nations raging against God, we've been a part of those nations. We, we call this depravity, that in our hearts, from our birth, sin is in our lives, and we are born rejecting God. We're not 
good people who do bad things. We are people who are spiritually dead and bankrupt. And so I think one of the struggles we have with the Psalms is we come in and we put ourselves in the camp of the righteous because we see ourselves better as all, than all those other bad people. But to understand the Psalms, we have to come to the Psalms saying, I have chosen the path of the wicked. I have been on the path of the rebellion. That is where my heart goes unless God intervenes through the power of the Holy Spirit. Unless God opens our eyes to see our need for Christ and to place saving faith in Him. We all choose the other path. And even as believers, because our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked or incurably wicked, as Jeremiah 17 would say, we will head toward the wrong path. And so we as believers want to walk on the path that leads to gladness in God, not our happiness. We want to set our trajectory toward the pursuit of Him. So how do we do that? Psalm 1 and 2 lay out these two paths for us. And so what I want to do is just walk back through this text quickly and kind of bring out the two different paths. And here's what I'm asking you to do this morning if you're a believer in this room. It's just compare your life to these paths. Which one lines more with where you are right now? And if you're here and you're not a believer, I would encourage you the same. Look at these two paths. What does this mean for me? What, what, what does this look like in my life this morning? So let's do that together. We'll, we'll list these in the, eye, in, the, in the context of big ideas. The first one is this that we see from Psalm chapter 1, that there are two types of values. Anyone and everyone either values and treasures the counsel of God or you value and treasure the counsel of men. We value and treasure the counsel of God or we value and treasure the counsel of man. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. Blesses the man who walks not in the, this is the key word, the counsel, the worldview, the wisdom of the wicked. Nor stands in the way, the pattern of life that sinners have, the worldview, the way in which they live, the way in which they see life. Nor sits in the seat of scoffers, that, that is in the position of someone who stands against God, mocks against God, gives direction against God. But, alternatively, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law, Torah, he meditates day and night. Here's the point. Uh, in a practical sense, every single person in this room treasures someone's counsel. The question is whether or not we treasure the counsel of God or treasure the counsel of man. And here's why I want to encourage you and challenge you today, church. Don't put your hope in what everyone else has to say to you. Put your hope in what this word says about you. Put your hope in what this word calls you to. Don't listen to the counsel of man unless you've compared it first to the counsel of God. Just because someone's a believer doesn't mean the counsel they are giving is the counsel of God, right? All throughout the Bible, we are challenged to compare what we are hearing, what we are filtering against God's word. And so we have to be people who love the Word, people who meditate on the Word. Another way of looking at these two verses is that you're either meditating God's law or you're meditating on someone else's counsel. Where are you going for your source of direction? Where are you going for your source of life? What are you spending the majority of your time filling your mind with? Is it God's Word is it worship? Is it considering and contemplating and meditating and memorizing the Word of God? Or is it Netflix? 
or social media or the quarterly review that's coming up at work or what people are talking about that's, that's popular today or sports center. What are you allowing to influence your mind? What are you giving the most of your thoughts to and your meditation to? And it doesn't mean that listening to people is wrong or sinful. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is when we value the counsel of man over the counsel of God, we will chase the path of the wicked. And can I just be honest? We live in the South and we value what other people say and what other people think a lot more if we're not careful than we value what God has to say. Again, if we just glance at God, as we said earlier this morning, a few minutes here, a few minutes a day, but we put the majority of our time and effort into something, someone else, we're not going to follow the path of the righteous. Jeremiah 17 says this, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man. And makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He will be like a shrub in the desert. He will not see any good come. He shall dwell in parched places of the wilderness, an uninhabited salt land. Cursed is the man who trusts his man. We, we want to trust in the Lord, our God. Kind of just push on us even a little bit more. And this is, this is convicting for me. I'm not standing above you. I'm with you in this. If you and if I... You're looking back over the last several weeks and you've spent very little time in God's Word. You're not treasuring Christ. We cannot treasure God, delight in God, and not be in His Word. It's impossible. One leads to the other. So there's two paths counsel of God, counsel of man. The second thing we see is there are two types of fruit. Two types of fruit in verses 3 and 4. There are two types of fruit. We either produce fruit that brings glory to God and blesses others, or we produce fruit that has little to no eternal significance. If you have your Bible, you look with me in verses 3 and 4. It says, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. So there's a picture here. There's a comparison contrast. There's a picture of a tree, a tree in a dry climate that is flourishing. And the reason why it's flourishing is because it is planted deep and its roots are connected to living, flowing water. And that water causes it to produce its fruit at the right time. Uh, and there's so much that can be said about this, but you get the picture. The, the water is God. It's His Word. And that's where life comes from. And the overflow of that is fruit that's born out in our lives. So one of the ways we know if we're walking on the path of the righteous or walking on the path of the wicked is we look at the fruit of our lives. Just going, again, really practical. If you're looking at your life, if you were to ask your best friend, you were to ask your spouse to look at your life, what, what would they say is the fruit of your life? What's the overflow of your life? What, what's coming out of the way that you live? Is it glory to God? Is it blessing to others? Again, trees don't produce fruit for themselves, right? The, tr the apple tree does not produce an apple and then takes the apple off its branch and eat it, right? Fruit is not for us. And if all of our lives are built about us, then we know that the fruit of our lives is not the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit exists for the glory of God and blessing for others. 
And in contrast, he talks about the chaff that the wind blows or drives away. And in that day when the wheat was brought in and they would thresh it and they would, uh, the chaff would be separated and they would throw it up in the air and the wheat would come down and the chaff, it's just like kernels. It would just blow away. It's nothing. It's meaningless. What the author is saying is that when we walk down the path of the wicked instead of the path of the righteous, our lives produce fruit that's not eternally significant. So one of the ways we know what path we're on is what is the fruit that's being borne out in our lives? Jesus talked about this in the Gospels. He said, make the tree bad, make the tree good. But a tree will be known by its fruit. If you and I were to sit down and we had a serious conversation about your time in the Word, about your love for other people, your love for your spouse, your love for your kids, if you're married, you're, you're, who you're sharing the gospel with, your, your concern for the nations, your concern for the poor, all those things. What would come out of your life in that conversation? We're going to measure your bank account, measure your calendar. What would come out of your life in that examination? And as I'm reading through this text, convicted about this, look, Lord, is, is this for me? Is there fruit that's coming out in my life? I need to test my life. I need other people to test and measure my life and let them in to see, am I on this path that leads to life? Or if I deviated to a path that's built on my hopes and my dreams and my goals? And at the end, it's vanity. So what type of fruit is being born out in our lives? Jeremiah 17, it gives this picture that's similar to Psalm 1. It says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes, for its leaves will remain green. It's not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. And then the very next verse, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Don't follow your heart. Follow God. Don't follow your heart. Aim your heart toward God. So we've seen the two types of fruit. We've seen the two types of counsel. Here's the next comparison and contrast that's in this book. There are two ways of living. Two ways of living. We either walk in the way of righteousness or we walk in the way of wickedness. Verses 5 through 6. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment. It's the end judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. What does that mean? The assembly of the righteous. That's where we get the word church from, ecclesia. It's the true people of God. The true, not the people who gather in a building, but the true people who've been redeemed, who are saints, who will stand at the end of the age, whose lives reflect the glory of God in the way they live. In the true people of God throughout Scripture, they put sin to death, they put sin to death, and they pursue righteousness. They don't divide on the lines. They don't see how close they can get to sin. They don't grab for their freedoms. They pursue holiness. They pursue Christ-likeness. They pursue sanctification. Those are the people whose lives will reflect the way that is of the righteous. The way of the wicked are not so. And in verse 6 it says, The Lord knows. That word knows, it's the same word that's used in Genesis 2, 24 through 25 when it said Adam knew his wife Eve. It's intimate. It's close. God knows intimately the way of the righteous person. It's connected to them. But look at what he says about the wicked. But the way of the wicked will perish. It will perish. It will end. It will go away. It will be no more. Is the way that you're living 
Is it known by God? Does it reflect God? Or is it something that would not be reflected by saints of righteousness? This helps us know what path we're on, the counsel that we take, the fruit in our lives, the way that we live our lives, the way that we walk. Fourthly, chapter 2, there are two Uh, There are two kingdoms. We either live for the kingdom of God or we live for our kingdom. We see that there are two kingdoms, the kingdom of God, our kingdom. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 9 speak about the conflict of the kingdoms. In verses 1 through 2, we see the nations raging. And I'll just kind of pull back for a second. Psalm 2 is hard for us. We don't like passages that talk about wrath and anger, and fury, and fear, and those kind of things. But God is a just God. God is a holy God. God demands holiness. God demands righteousness. And it's a righteousness that comes from outside of us. And this is a good thing for us. There should be in God's people a holy fear and a holy awe of God. We should not be afraid of that. That should be the way in which we live. Aside over, back to the text, sorry. So why do the nations rage, the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed. And again, let me just bring us all in this morning. Who in the room has set themselves against the Lord and his anointed? All of us. This is not those people out there who dislike Christianity. This is us. We have all set ourselves against Yahweh, the Lord. And the word anointed is the same word that's translated Messiah, which is the same word in the Greek translated the Christ. We've all set ourselves up against the Christ. We've all set ourselves up against Yahweh, God, Jehovah. This is who we are. So we don't want to read ourselves in as the heroes who are trying to pursue the right path and those are the bad guys. We are the ones in need of rescue. We are the ones in need of redemption. We are the ones in need of living for God's kingdom instead of for our kingdom. It says, let us burst our bonds apart, cast away their cords. This is God's response in verse 4. He who sits in heaven laughs. God isn't concerned. God's not worried. He's not afraid the rebellion's going to get out of control. He's in control. He's sovereign. These verses are quoted in Acts chapter 4. The prayer when the saints pray for boldness in the midst of persecution. They take comfort in the fact that God promised persecution would come, but they also take comfort in the fact that God is in control. Brother, sister, I don't know what you're walking through this morning. I don't know what... what trouble, what difficulty, what suffering, but if you're resting in God, you can know that He is in control. He's sovereign. He's not going to let you fall. Nothing is outside of His rule, and that's such a good news for us when we sing about it this morning. In verse 6, as for me, I've set my king on my holy hill. God is setting up a new kingdom and a new king, and so the question that we need to ask is, Who is this king? What is this kingdom? Are we living for his kingdom? Are we building our kingdoms? And then the next verse tells us who this king is. Verses 7 through 9. I'll tell the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And there should be so many trigger words in that for us. In one sense, it's talking about David. 
It's talking about God's king physically then. But we know on this side of the cross that this is talking about Jesus. Who is the only begotten son? Jesus. Who is the son who becomes the king? It's Jesus. Who is the unexpected one? Everyone looked at Jesus and when during his earthly ministry they didn't see him as a king or as a ruler. And yet he becomes exalted over all. It is Jesus. This is what it's about. It's the kingdom of God which is built on Jesus and you live for that kingdom or you live your life trying to build your own kingdom, your own comfort, your own joy. You look for your own saviors. Every single person in this room is chasing one of those two kingdoms and is leveraging their life for a kingdom. The question we must ask this morning is what kingdom are you living for? How do we know this is Jesus? Well, this passage was quoted a lot in the New Testament. Here's a couple of references for us. Acts 13, 32-33, this is the Apostle Paul. And we bring you good news that what God promised to the fathers, Old Testament, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus as it's written in the second psalm. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. The Apostle Paul's reading Psalm chapter 2 in his quiet time. He's going to preach the gospel and he directly quotes it saying, this is Jesus. That Savior, that King promised by the fathers, it has come to us today, it's Jesus. In Hebrews 1, 1 through 5, verse 1 says, Long ago, at many times, many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. I jump down to verse 5. For to which of the angels did God ever say, and he quotes Psalm 2, You are my son, today I've begotten you. What's, what's the author of Hebrews saying? He's saying this son promised centuries before is our Savior, Jesus Christ. And God's kingdom is built on God's son. That if you want to follow God, you cannot accept through the saving son, the true king. Amen? And he goes on to tell us about this king, verse 8. Through him he will make the nations his heritage, the ends of the earth his possession. That this kingdom is not just for the Jews, it's going to spread to all people in all places for his glory. In verse 9 again it reflects the chaff from chapter 1. And you shall break them with a rod of iron or rule them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Anyone who walks on the other path, who rejects the sun, is just going to be blown away. No more. The end of their life will be meant for nothing. So again, brothers and sisters, the question is this morning, whose kingdom are you building? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, what are you laboring for? I'm not saying quit your job and go be a missionary. What I'm saying is go be a missionary at your job. I'm not saying quit being a parent. I'm saying be a missionary as a parent. I'm not saying stop loving your spouse. Be a missionary to your spouse. Build your life, your family, your hope on the kingdom of God, which comes through the saving son. This is what makes life meaningful. This is what makes God look glorious. This is what brings joy into us when we take every single breath that God gives us and we pour it back out as a sacrifice of praise through Jesus Christ. And anyone and everyone, this is the calling of our lives. 
And this brings us to the last comparison. And this, this is a response. There's two paths, and to go on one path or the other requires a response. To understand the Psalms requires a response by us. In verse 10 through 12, give us the answer. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned. Serve the Lord with fear. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Rejoice with trembling. Verse 12. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish in, there it is, the way. The way of the wicked will perish. In almost the exact same wording as Psalm 1. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Let's look at the last line. Blessed, happy, glad, joyful are all who take refuge in him. Who's him? The Son. Son. We will not delight in the law of the Father until we take refuge in the Son. We will not be glad in God until we find our joy in Jesus Christ. We will not understand the Psalms until we begin to see the Psalms and all of Scripture to the through the lens of the story of redemption, where Christ is at the center of. And so, the truth that I want us to walk away with this morning is this, to be glad in God, we must find our joy in Jesus. We will never delight in the law of the Father until the Son becomes our refuge. You can't obey Psalm 1 until you see Psalm 2, and in Psalm 2 we see the Son is glorious. The way we meditate and delight on the law of the Lord is by coming through saving faith through the Son. Amen? You cannot separate the law of the Lord and meditating on it from the salvation of the Son. One becomes works and striving. The other becomes resting and refuge. And so because of our position in Christ, being saved, we now can pursue God. And so Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, they're about Jesus. All the Bible is about Jesus. It's about God's saving work. God's redeeming a people for himself, for his own glory. And so if we come to the Psalms and we just read it as little encouraging statements to help us get through our days, we totally miss it. But when we meditate on it and we think about it and we consider it and we pray through it, we begin to see how Jesus is the hero of the Psalms. Jesus is our hero. And so the question for you and for me this morning is, are we taking refuge in the Son or are we rejecting the Son? In Psalm 2, Jesus is the Son. Jesus is the King. Jesus is the Anointed. What about Psalm 1? In Psalm 1, Jesus is the way. Bless the man who walks not on this one way, but God knows the way of the righteous. What is the way of the righteous? Well, thankfully, Jesus tells us, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. You don't walk the way of the righteous unless you come through the Son, who is the way, amen? But he's not only the way, he is the fountain of living water. Think again, verses 3 and 4, that tree that's nourished by rivers of water. Who is the rivers of water? Well, John 7 tells us that anyone who comes to him will not thirst again. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of water. Jesus is the rivers of water for the tree. Then in verses 5 and 6, how do we become righteous? 
It's not by our good works. None of us can be right before God because of our good works. It's because of the righteousness of Christ that's imputed to us through Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 are all about Jesus. And the way we meditate in and delight in the law of the Lord happens through the Son. Brothers and sisters, are you taking refuge in the Son this morning? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we respond? I just want to give us some space this morning to meditate on the law of the Lord. And in your seat, you can come down to the front. But I want to give you space to just pray to consider these truths. And I just ask anyone in this room, again, heads bowed, eyes closed. There's probably people in this room who are rejecting the sun instead of finding their refuge in the sun. And we all reject the sun. Not some of us, all of us. The question is, have you seen the sun as glorious? Have you seen the sun as savior? Have you put your hope Have you kissed the Son, paid homage to the Son, run to Him, surrendered to Him? And if you have not, friend, this morning you can be saved. You can repent of your sin, place your faith in God, and know the Son. I urge you, please, do that this morning. For those in this room who would say that we are Jesus followers, brothers, sisters, Are you delighting in the counsel and treasuring the counsel of God? Are you treasuring the counsel of man? Well, how do I know, Pastor Paul? Are you in the Word? Not glancing at it. Are you meditating on it? Is it a part of your morning? Is it a part of your day? Is it a part of your week? Is it life-giving to you? Is it something that, that you, you long for and are growing in? And it doesn't mean that if sometimes you don't desire to read the Word, you're not a Christian. It's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying in the life of a genuine believer who is resting in the sun and rejoicing in the gospel and knowing who they are, we long to know and meditate on the Word. Is that true of you this morning? What's the fruit of your life this morning? What's being borne out by your time, your energy, your desires, your passion, your your checkbook? What is the way that you're living this morning? Is it a pursuit of holiness? Is it a pursuit of righteousness? Is it putting sin to death out of a love for God? Desire to be like God as He is holy. What kingdom are you building this morning? What are you building your life on? What are you building your family on? What are you building your marriage on? What are you building your business on? What what are you building your kingdom on and for this morning? So now is an opportunity for us to respond. And we're going to sing these words. Great are you, Lord. One is an acknowledgement of who he is and what he's done. It's a reminder of the gospel. But then it is a cry of our hearts to say, Lord, we want to give the breath that you've given us. We give it back to you. Every single bit, every little bit of it, we want to sing great are you, Lord, in every area of our lives. So brothers and sisters, this is your opportunity to respond, to pray, to sing, come down to the altar to surrender to the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. Father, we give ourselves to you this morning. We pray that your word would be a delight to us, that we would take refuge in the Son this morning. You are worthy of our praise and our worship.
It's in your name we pray. Amen.